This is episode 144, Deb's Solo Cast. Hello and welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I am Deb and I am alone today and that's fine because you know what? I never turn down a challenge and I will tell you that recording this evening has been a challenge, but not too much of a challenge. Basically, it felt like a mission, like Legends of the Hidden Temple, in the sense that Benjamin took my mouse and hid it somewhere. (laughs) And I remember earlier this morning seeing my mouse in the house in the wrong place. And first of all, having to constantly refer to looking for my mouse is... um, (laughs) it feels awkward but yeah my mouse was missing um and I remember earlier today I saw my mouse and it was in the wrong spot and I thought to myself hee hee this is funny that now the baby steals things I need in the future could be an issue (laughs) and I don't know why in that moment I didn't pick up the mouse and put it in a place where I could find it um but I didn't And then the future was this evening and I was going to record and I could not find my mouse. My mouse was missing. (laughs) And um, so I searched for it. I searched for the mouse in the house and I found it in a bucket of toys. And um, I feel like a champion. Then the next thing that happened was I, like a champion, brought my mouse over to the computer to go open up GarageBand to find that I guess he was just clicking away with the mouse when he found it, when he was playing with it, and the battery was um, almost drained. It worked just enough for the mouse cursor to very slowly move across the screen or just randomly get lost. Um, So then I had to find a toy with a AA battery to to power my mouse and then I had to find a screwdriver (laughs) that would open the toy to get the AA battery to power my mouse and I found a screwdriver but it was too big but I still got it open so I just want everyone to know I really can do anything I am a very capable amazing triumphant person And I will find success in all that I pursue as long as I commit my efforts faithfully. And I'm going to cheers myself to that. I am drinking Peroni. This is an Italian Pilsner. It is alcohol, the only kind in my house. Mm. I'm going to drink it. I drank it. It is good. I vote drink it, not sink it. Um, It is a very good, easy beer. And... um, yeah, it was here. So I don't have wine today, but I have uh, my beer and I have the mouse and a double A battery. And um, I don't, this, now this uh, bubble lawn mower will need a new battery, but that's, that's okay. I wasn't really impressed with the bubble lawn mower toy, to be honest. I thought it was going to be a sturdier, like a walker toy, but it's very flimsy. And I, I guess I pictured the baby walking and pushing this lawnmower bubble machine. But 
what's actually fascinating is the spinning bubble part in the front. So why would the child want to hold the handle when there's a spinning contraption up front that's spewing bubbles? So um, this is not a functional toy. It's a it's a it's an adult toy that doesn't consider the uh, perspective of the child, which is uh, essentially what I'd like to talk about today. Um, the perspective of the child. Oh, another thing I was thinking. So I was listening to an occupational therapist who was saying that, um, you know, our toddlers are going to want to interact with the things that they see their parents interacting with most frequently. So try and tell me that I'm not doing enough paperwork on my computer because the baby loves to take the mouse. So I'm clearly doing a lot of work on the computer. That is my proof. That's science. Um, I don't know if that's funny, but I would think Maria would be laughing at me right now, but she's not here. She is at home. She's not available to record today. She's probably listening to this on her way to work Monday morning. I hope you're well rested, Maria. I hope that your mouse is intact, that you didn't have to dismantle any toys to power it, and that nobody hit it in a block, a toy, toy box of blocks. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, I think that I want to chat about, um, I always want to say Gaston, but it's Gestal, um, language processing, because I feel like it's so super trendy now on the internet, and, um, I don't know, internet trends really bother me, and, uh, I don't want, I feel like this is not something that is unfamiliar to SLPs. It's just called something that I've never heard it called that before. To be honest, I'm not going to get on here and be like, I know all about Gestalt processing. No. Really, what we used to call it was like delayed echolalia. So the individual, instead of speaking in um, an analytical way when they would, they would speak from using one word to two words to three words like go let's go let's go now they might learn that in a phrase that they heard in a movie or a story that was like to infinity and beyond and they might associate that with like let's go and um they don't mean you know they want to go to the moon or watch toy story they just mean that they associate that with going somewhere. So it's basically learning language in chunks. Um, and although what they're saying is not always literally applied to the situation, their expressions are not meaningless. Um, usually what the individual is saying, it's highly tied to emotion. And they are using these chunks as means to communicate um, something very purposeful. So... That's basically what Gestalt language processing is and some examples in my life that I've come across. So I had an individual who I worked with. He was in uh, third grade and when I met him, he didn't really have much expressive language at all. And then after doing some therapy with me, his language flourished and he would he kind of essentially developmentally acted like an individual who did just start speaking. And, and once he was able to advocate for himself and say no, 
he loved to say no, so he would be always declining um, people's offers to do activities or work. He would say no. Um, and that got him far. Then by the next year, I noticed, once we started doing teletherapy, because the whole pandemic came brought, every, brought everything to a screeching halt, um, he would often change it to, he said no. And I think that happened because he started saying no so often and that um, people kept trying to make him do stuff. And then I think maybe his mom or another caregiver kept being like, he said no. And then that was effective. So now he would hear that sentence and always be like, he said no. And realize like that was a way to really get through to people to be like, no, I'm actually not going to do this activity. Um, so there's one example in my real life. And another one, I worked with the, this kid who would always, um, if you wanted to end an activity or stop them from doing something, they would say, thank you, and like perseverate on thank you, thank you. And what I really think happens there is that, because um, I do it with my, with my child too, that like when when my child is doing something like if he's got something that he shouldn't have I take it from him and I say thank you I'm like oh thank you give that to me thank you um and I think that this person was people were saying thank you as a means of like ending something that was desirable to him so when you ended something that he wanted to continue he would start perseverating on thank you um because that annoyed him that you were interfering in ending his activity, if that makes sense. So before I keep explaining things the way I see them in my head and the way I think about them, let me just read some stuff here. Okay, so um, this is from Assistiveware. I like the way they explain Gestalt language processing is getting a lot of buzz in the field of AAC and speech pathology. Um, so what is it? It is a form of language development that starts with whole memorized phrases, two single words. The basic unit of language is generally a word. We construct language word by word to reach our meaning. For Gestalt language processors, the basic unit of language is not a word. It is a chunk of language. For example, a Gestalt language processor may think, I'll be back as one chunk. They would not recognize the words, I will be back as four individual words making up the phrase, but would see it as a whole. We can call these chunks gestalt or scripts. You may also have heard this referred to as delayed echolalia. Also, I feel like when we were doing, I think, language acquisition in college, that um, when we were doing language samples, that if something was said in a chunk like that, it was actually considered one utterance as opposed to four. So this is not unfamiliar stuff. I've just never heard it, like I mentioned, I've never heard it um, be called gestalt. Gestalt language processing is a normal part of language development. All children have some gestalts, even if they mostly start speaking word by word. For example, most children and adults process you're welcome as a gestalt. They aren't thinking about putting together the meaning you are welcome. They were only seeing it as a whole. Remember that a script or gestalt doesn't have to have meaning that is literal. Are you okay? Could mean 
um, I'm hurt because the child often hears that question when something is wrong. In a way, Gestalt language processors are masters of metaphor. They see the connections between the two scenarios and bring the language from the first situation to the second. So in my now 10 years of being a speech pathologist, I feel so comfortable now in therapy that it feels very natural to me. And I understand that there are many people who don't always feel this way. Um, And imposter syndrome is another buzzword on the internet. Uh, I think that this buzz around gestalt language processing highlights the importance of just being a model in your speech therapy sessions and stop expecting so much like reciprocation or repeating or imitation from the individual in front of you. They're obviously receptive to the things that they hear around them in the sense that these individuals are picking up commonly heard phrases that are attached to emotional states or situations and they're hearing what's modeled and they're repeating it in a way that's applicable to them in their mind the way they process things so the more you model language appropriately to them and reduce the demands of having to repeat which is just taking up time you're showing them that these phrases have meaning and it'll be a faster more effective way for them to communicate with a larger group of people um So I do, though, feel that in the beginning of my career, I had a harder time with the EI population and the limitedly verbal population because I would think, oh, my goodness, I'm here and I'm supposed to make them speak and they're not speaking. But but these days I just pick a couple phrases and I start, I just pick like a list of core phrases. If you just like look up core phrases that are two or three words, I have that and I, and I, I cross them off when I use them in a session and I'll try to target like two to four phrases and I'll bring some materials with me or I'll use materials that are around us, whatever the child seems to demonstrate interest in. And then I'll just use these core phrases in while interacting with the materials that the child chose and just model these over and over again. And I find that is being that these kids are having a delayed, not always in the moment because they're not sitting, I'm not sitting there expecting them to repeat, but people are coming to me saying that after they spend time with me, they do hear the children utilizing these core phrases because we chose activities that were chosen by them so they were intrinsically motivated. And then I just tie phrases to these activities. For instance, um, I loved having like clear tote boxes of things inside because you can work on I want and open and close and put in and take out and dump them all out or put them all in or some or or empty things like that so there's lots of things you can work on and you can keep opening it and closing it and like putting it under the table or on your head taking it away giving it back being silly um so there's lots of things that you can say when you have a clear container because they see there's something inside they might like and um the container is closed it needs to get open so there's many things that you can say so 
I will often have something like that and I'll be like, oh, do you want to see this? I want to see this. Do you want to see it too? I want to see it. Put it down. Yes, let's put it down. Okay, let's open the box. Should we open it? And then I might knock on it and like listen. I'm like, knock, 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 open. <laughs> open the box and put a melody to it. Because um, really, I just like to sing. But, um, you know, we all know the research that you have more fluency when you put a melody to it. Um, but yeah, like open the box, close the box, put it in, put it away, take it out, you know, all these things. Um, and the more that I model these phrases consistently, that's why I say choose two, two to four and then consistently model those. Um, and I make it silly and fun. I do find that these core phrases, which make up the majority of our expressive output, um, do start becoming a part of the child's vocabulary. So that's my, that's my tip for everyone, is just to um, reduce the amount of pressure and expectations and follow the child's lead in what they're doing and then go have a core phrase or sentence list choose a couple that can relate to whatever activity that you have or whatever they're looking at and model those phrases and because of what we know about gestalt language processors this should be an effective way to get them to start utilizing these chunks because you're using an expressive phrase and you're tying it to something emotional because it is an intrinsically motivating activity, right? Is that right? Is that correct or is that the Peroni speaking? I don't know. I'm going to drink some more. Anyway, it's been a lovely day. The weather was quite nice today. Um, I have a special announcement. So for the longest time, I have had very many jobs and I have been a fee-for-service individual. And um, that life suited me well because it was quite flexible. And I was able to be a very creative person, a very spontaneous person, and um, a very free person, it seemed, for a long time. I wasn't tied to like... A school. I didn't have a certain amount of vacation days. Um, I didn't have to make sure that I had enough hours so that I can, you know, receive insurance. I really could do whatever um, worked best for me. And that was fun for a while. But then um, the downside of that is that, like, when you work, you get paid. And when you don't work, you don't get paid. And that was fine before I had a child. And now I have one and I am like, oh, I have to always get paid. <laughs> I need to consistently have money. Um, so I was recently offered an amazing opportunity to have a full-time salaried position with benefits and I could not turn it down. So I last week resigned from 
three of the companies that I work for, um, and I'll say them now because I love them very much, and if you're in New York City and you're looking for work, you should check out these companies. Um, City Sounds of New York, based out of Chelsea, um, Speech, Language, and Learning, um, based out of Brooklyn, that's Mark Cantor is the head speech pathologist there, and then Downtown Kids Therapy Group in Tribeca, um, that's a smaller practice, so there's less likely to have jobs for you if you're coming to the city, but it's a great place to work. I loved working there so much, um, but I just felt so spread thin, and I was struggling to manage all of my different jobs. I'm also an adjunct professor at St. John's University, so I had four jobs, plus the podcast, plus my um, online store of making materials and Patreon, and it was just becoming too much, and um, I needed to reduce the amount of areas that I was focusing on. And then um, Rebecca from Speech in the City contacted me and offered me a interview and I went and I loved it and I start next week. So um, yeah, it's been crazy. I thought so many people were gonna be upset with me for quitting my jobs and they're all just happy for me, which is wonderful. I um, there is a lot to quitting though. There's a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of like making sure all your paperwork is in order and everybody has reports um, because who knows when the next provider is going to come in and when their um, next meeting is. So this transition period between jobs is still a bit of a struggle and I'm juggling, but um, I'm really happy and I feel like things are good and they're moving in to a positive, more a um, manageable direction. And uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited for what the future holds for me at Speech in the City. Um, and so stay tuned for, for more of that. My quote is, um, hmm, what is my quote? It should be something about change or new beginnings. I'm going to sit here and Google. I mean, please stick with me. Let's see. The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. That's not applicable, but I can't hold you here all day searching for. I want a quote that's all like, oh, you know what my quote is? I heard this actually in a Patrice O'Neill, um, Opie and Anthony soundbite that, um, I guess he was having a hard time and his mom said to him that, uh, God takes things out of your hands so you can hold something better. And nothing was taken from my hands. I wasn't fired from jobs. I did quit. Um, but I guess what's being taken from me is like that flexibility and freedom that I used to have. But right now I have a more stable, I need a more stable life because I have a baby. So it's not like I can just hop on a plane to California anymore just because Mike is doing some silly comedy thing um, because I have a baby and a career that I need to um, that I need to focus on so uh, while I am moving on to something more concrete and more serious and more structured um, it's good and I'm happy and I feel like a brand new mature adult so that was my news. I know I posted on Instagram and then I kind of like left it as a cliffhanger 
I felt uncomfortable really announcing my joy about the new job because I do feel um, guilt and sadness for leaving the old ones, even though everyone's happy for me because I will miss the kids and the people that I've worked for. I mean, I'm a pretty loyal worker. I I was even a waitress at the same comedy club for 10 years, um, and it might have been one day a week at some points, but I still stayed at that job. So I rarely quit jobs. I just add more jobs to myself. So this is going to be the first time I only have one job. Well, I'll still have two because I'm still teaching at St. John's. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a worker, and I... I just, I know, I guess I'm always comfortable while working, and um, this is a change, but I am welcoming it, so thank you for um, listening to my solo cast today. I might as well be Bill Burr at this point. I hope I don't sound as nutty as he does on his podcast, Um, but yeah, uh, I've been thinking about stuff from the child's perspective, modeling language, gestalt processing, and change. And I hope that uh, you're having a lovely Monday or week so far and you tune